0: If you would, go ahead and open in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 22. As we've come through Deuteronomy together, this is where we find ourselves. Under God's providence this morning, in Deuteronomy 22, God willing, verses 1 through 12. Let's pray that the Lord would help us. Father, thank you for this amazing blessing to get to have your word. And God, we believe that your word gets into every part of our lives, Lord. and we love it. We're your people. We want to be guided by you, Lord. We love commands from our king, promises from our Savior. We love your word, Lord. Thank you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see as we read it and meditate on it together this morning. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. The ESV title for this section, Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 through 12, is Various Laws. Some of them are going to be a bit strange to your modern ear, but we're going to try to meditate on all six of these various laws in Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 through 12. A quick word on interpretation of Old Testament law before we actually read it and dig into it together. A quick word on interpretation. It's very obvious as you read through this that um, and what we're about to read. It's obvious that these were laws uh, specifically for the people of Israel. Um, For example, verse 12, the sixth law that we'll read, will say that um, you need to have these tassels on the four corners of your garments. And I don't see anybody wearing that this morning. Um, This is something specific for Israel. A similar way that we would think about ceremonial law or dietary laws that set apart Israel from the nations and, um, and as Christ came, all that was fulfilled in him. Uh, so what do, what do we take away from that information that, that, that what's here is written to and for the people of Israel? What do we take away from that? Um, what do we do with that information? There's a few options. Number one, we could just completely ignore these laws. And that would be wrong and sinful even. 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is breathed out by God. And is good for instruction and teaching and training and righteousness. So we shouldn't just ignore these laws since they're for Israel. I guess we could also, uh, secondly, we could, we could just try to obey them strictly and put tassels on the four corners of your garments and, um, and, and be, um, be under the dietary laws, et cetera. You could, you could do that sort of thing. But actually, it's interesting, that actually itself would be disobedience. Uh, There were people in the New Testament that were trying to command circumcision, for example, um, and make Gentiles Jewish, and they were actually disobeying God in what looked like strict adherence, and it really wasn't. It wasn't strict adherence because they weren't understanding Old Testament law very well. So what do we do with these commands? I'll just give you a couple things. We need to see God's character in these commands, which I hope to do. I hope to do. I hope we can do that this morning. And we also need to see principles to live by. As we see God's character in these laws, we also see principles that we can live by. Romans 15, 4 says, The things that were written before were written for our learning. So we need to learn from this as we read it. We don't ignore these words, these laws. These things were written for were written for our learning. There's an Old Testament law, we'll come across it soon, that says, Don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Well, I would challenge you to go look at what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes out that law and takes a principle from it and uses it to encourage the church. That's the sort of thing that we should do too as we read through these laws. So that's exactly what I want us to do. I want us to see the character of God. I want us to take away principles to live by as we look at these six various laws. Um, number one, law number one is found in verses 1 through 4, and it's a law about lost property. A law about lost property. So let's read it together. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you, and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey, or with his garment, or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses, and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. This is a passage, this is a law about caring for your neighbor's property, specifically caring for your neighbor's lost pro- property. Uh, this law would be under the banner of love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is not just about lost animals, but as I read in verse 3, it could be lost animals, lost property that way, or it says any lost thing. Did you catch that in verse 3? Any lost thing of your neighbor. It's not just about animals, but about any lost property of your neighbor. And there's basically three scenarios are given in what we just read. Three scenarios. One, the lost property of a neighbor that you know. And right here in verse 1, it says, it's very practical, it says, uh, don't ignore that neighbor in need. But, but if your neighbor loses something, restore it to him. Simple. Second scenario, the lost property of a neighbor that you don't know. Maybe they live too far away. Maybe you don't know who they are. Well, again, the command in verse 2 is you don't know the person who's lost something, but, but take care of it. Take care of that lost thing. Maybe it's a, an ox or whatever it is. Take care of that lost thing. That might take some self-sacrifice, by the way. But don't ignore it. Take care of it till he comes looking for it, then restore it to him. Love him in that way. Then the third scenario is if you see your neighbor struggling in the ditch. Do you see that in verse 4? You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox falling down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him. Help him to lift them up again. So you see your neighbor struggling in the ditch. Don't ignore him. Get your hands dirty. He says, get down in the ditch with him and help him. Don't pass by him like those Pharisees. Remember the, the, the Pharisee that passed right by the, um, the man that was down in the ditch and hurt and broken, the Good Samaritan didn't. Remember that story? It says, don't just pass by them. Now, I think we need to take this law and remember to beware of the Well, that's not my problem. Mindset. That's not my problem. That's a mindset we need to be warned about. Love, according to this, can get very, very practical. Love for neighbor is not just floaty feelings. Love actually enters into the problems of its neighbors. Love gets his hands dirty. Love gets down into the ditch. Beware of, yeah, yeah, but that's not my problem, it's their problem. Beware of that mindset. That's a problem of the human heart that goes way back. Remember, you can go read in Genesis 4 about a brother that said to God, Am I my brother's keeper? It's not my problem. It's not my issue. Am I my brother's keeper? Love for neighbor gets very, very practical. In fact, listen to this. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Man, praise God for that. That Jesus didn't just pass by, he didn't ignore us, but it says, this is how we know what love is, not that just this kind of do-no-harm mindset. No, he leaned in and laid down his life for us. He got down into the ditch. And it says... 1 John, I'm still reading here, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The way Christ has laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, it's interesting because when when the next verse in 1 John 3 gets practical, you would think it'd say something really glorious like, um, uh, you know, die for your friend. Take the bullet for him, you know. Something, something that's like, maybe he lays down his life in that sense. And instead, listen to the next verse. Next verse. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart. The language of Deuteronomy 22 is, is ignores him. If He closes his heart. How does, how does God's love abide in him? So practical. So, so... Very practical, this idea. It's not a floaty feeling, but love for neighbor is this idea of getting down into the ditch with them, not ignoring their problems, which is something I want you to notice from Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 through 4. Three times it said the word ignore. Did you catch that as I was reading it? It said, it, it said ignore. It said uh, don't ignore his problem. Don't ignore your brother's need. Uh, don't ignore him when he's down into the ditch. It's, that word is literally don't hide yourself. Don't hide yourself from his need. Don't hide yourself from his problem. Love for neighbor is deeper than merely do no harm. Love leans in. Love does good. Love does, verse 4. Verse 4 says, you shall help him. It's real service. It's real help. Even when it means self-sacrifice, it's intentionally doing good to your neighbor, not ignoring his problems, not hiding yourself from your neighbor's problems. Problems. Galatians 6.2 says it like this. I love this verse. It says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And one more thing I want you to notice from this first law is the term brother is actually mentioned five times here. Don't hide from your brother. Don't ignore your brother. Help your brother. It's your brother, your brother, your brother. It's mentioned five times here. There's a special emphasis in God's word on the kind of care that is meant to be given towards those who are covenanted together as the people of God. There's a special emphasis there. We even see this in the New Testament. Listen to Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And then listen to this, comma, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to all, and it says especially to those who are of the household of faith. Grace Community Church, let us be, let us be the kind of church that knows one another well enough to recognize when somebody's in the ditch, when somebody has a problem, when there's a need, and the exhortation here is don't ignore it. Don't hide yourself. Be a church full of this one another type love, this brotherly type love, this demonstrated and intentional and thoughtful care for one another. I want to ask every member of Grace Community Church please take time to examine yourself in this. What are you contributing to this sort of love and service to those who are in need, especially? those who are of the household of faith. Man, praise God for Christ. Christ Jesus who didn't just do no harm. No, he entered into this world, took on human sin onto himself, was, was slaughtered in our place. He shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. That kind of intentional, thoughtful, lean in, get into the ditch type love. May we be a church full of that. So I'd encourage you, examine your heart. Examine your heart. What are you contributing to that? Second law is found in verse 5. Now, this is a law about, I told you there were various. This is a law about male and female distinctions. Let's read it, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And that's not hard to understand. Boys don't wear girls' clothes. Girls don't dress like boys. It's not hard to understand this. For Everybody, everybody that reads that and, you, and you're the kind of person that you thought, man, I wish we could just go back to the good old days when these things weren't a problem. Well, this stuff's as old as Moses. You can see it here, right? There's a command about the way you dress um, masculine or feminine here. I believe the heart of it, the principle of it is deeper than this. It's a call for men to embrace manliness. Doesn't matter what Dr. Phil says about your feminine side, embrace manliness. There's a call for, here for women to embrace womanliness or, or femininity, to embrace that. Doesn't matter what I don't know, Ellen says, I don't know, whoever, doesn't matter. How serious is this? Well, did you notice the end of verse 5? For whoever does these things... Listen, this isn't a pat on the back. Is an abomination to the Lord your God. That's serious. Verse 5 just got very, very serious. It's very clear from this verse, this law, that our God is a God who cares about male and female distinctions or differences. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God, He created it this way. It says, He made them male and female. He designed humanity this way, and He intends for it to remain this way. Our God doesn't feel a a lick of pressure from our idiotic culture that doesn't know the difference between a man and a woman. He feels no pressure from that to change. It says Genesis 1, and it continues on. In fact, these distinctions will continue on even into eternity. Now, I believe this is a good reminder for us as the people of God to stand firm against the winds of change in our land. And we can begin right here with Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. Think about all the socially um, acceptable ideologies that if I, just, if I just out loud read Deuteronomy 22, 5, Man doesn't dress like a girl, girl doesn't dress like a man. If I just read that out loud, the ideologies that would just rage at me, feminism, transgenderism, A lot of other LGBTQ adherence stuff, those who are terrified to hurt their feelings, all this stuff. And these these ideologies are being fed to us, fed to our children through TV, uh, movies, YouTube, music. It goes on and on. One day, just one idea, one false idea after another until it just becomes so normal to you. It just becomes so normal. And how will you push back? How will you stand firm. Well, how about you begin with Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, and the heart of God in it. God cares about these distinctions between male and female, masculinity and femininity. God cares about this stuff. Now, why why do you think, it seems like such a simple design in Genesis 1, God made them male and female. Seems simple. Why do you think there's such a pushback in our culture on that issue? I believe it goes back to Psalm chapter 2, Verse 1 through 3. It says, Psalm 2 verse 1 says, Why do do the nations rage? Why do they plot vain things against the Lord and against His Christ? Why do they do this and they say stuff like this? Let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Do you get that? This rebellion against male and female distinctions is a rebellion against the authority of God. Get Get His oppressive cords off me. This God can't even tell me if I'm a man or a woman. It's an attack on God's authority. So Grace Community Church, let's be a church that upholds biblical masculinity and biblical, biblical femininity. God's design is good, and we can trust Him in it. And we can start right here with Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Third law, it's verse 6 and 7. This is a law about food preservation, probably, I think. Verse six and seven. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young, young ones or eggs and the, and the mother's sitting on the young one or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother, let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. Now, the plain sense of this verse is not hard to grasp, right? You, you, see, uh, you see a mama bird, or maybe a hen? Yeah, there's the eggs. You can take the eggs. Don't take the mother. Don't take the mama bird. Okay? seems simple. Now, the reason for the command is not so obvious, in fact, it's pretty discouraging to read your first two commentaries on it, and they say, but the modern reader does not know why. <laughs> this is a law in, uh, in God's Word. Um, but I think most commentaries, you read through this, they speak about this as, as having something to do with food preservation. Uh, in other words, co- uh, cook the eggs, not the chicken, right? Uh, what's the reason? Well, because you'd stop the food supply. That makes sense if you put yourself in that setting, if you've got Chickens that lay eggs, and if you, one day you go out and you just get a hankering to get the eggs and kill the chicken too, well, you don't have eggs coming later. It's about food preservation, as many of the commentaries would say. Now, it may be, it may be, practically speaking, that the people of Israel needed practical instruction like this. They've been, they've been just, you know, spoon-fed, essentially spoon-fed manna for 40 years. Maybe they needed really practical information, practical instruction like this, uh, I don't know. It may be that um, that there's a connection. Do you remember the command about the fruit trees in Deuteronomy 20, I believe it was? You remember that command? It may be that there's a connection there to that one, because remember it says when you take when you lay siege on a city, when you're at war, he says, don't cut down all the fruit trees. And why would he say that? He's talking about preserving food. Don't, don't, cause the future generations to enter into poverty because you cut down the fruit trees, like win this war, lay siege to it, and that's it. And it may be that there's a connection to the same kind of idea of preserving food. So love your neighbor by not cutting off food supplies during a siege. And also here, love your neighbor by preserving future food supplies. Honestly, I'm not sure, but I don't have another explanation for you. This This is God's law here. I want to take this as a chance to say this. Sort of a side note application. What do you do when God gives a command, God gives you a commandment, that you don't feel like you fully understand the reason for it? What do you do? You obey it. I think of things early on in my walk with God, when I first started reading the Word, and I would read something like, wives submit to your husbands well I come from the same culture you come from like whoa what did that just say almost embarrassed of that verse you know but I love God and I trust God's word I don't know the reason for wives submit to your husbands but I just trust you Lord you're good you know what you're doing you're wiser than me that's for sure you just obey it Just okay or scripture that says um you know, 1 Timothy 3, to, uh, and, and chapter 2, chapter 3 says that uh, women can't be pastors. I remember reading that, thinking, whoa, I don't know the reason for that. I, f- I feel like, you know, now as time has gone on, I understand more of the reasons for why God has, has uh, commanded these things the way he has. But at the time, what do I do when I don't fully understand the reason for these commands? I just say, God, you're good. And no matter how that lands on me and how it feels, I believe you. I trust you. You're good. I want to obey you. That's the way you respond when you don't feel like you have every eye dotted and every cross on the reasons now as parents all the parents in the room what do you think about when you what do you think about it when you when you give your kids a command and they say why what do you think about that now you're okay with your children asking why and even wanting to know reasons why for certain commands you're okay with that i hope but you know that kind of why? That's just I just don't. I really just don't want to obey this why. What's the reason for that? You're okay with why as long as there's this submissiveness to. I want to obey you. I want to do what you say. And 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 also, can I learn the reason for this command? Christians ought to obey God's commands even if they don't fully understand the reason why. Because they can trust God. They can trust God. So, Grace Community Church, let us be those with hearts eager. To obey God even when we feel like we don't fully understand number four fourth command it's in verse eight this is a law about valuing life excuse me verse eight it's a law about valuing life look at it when you build a new house you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Now, not hard to understand. When you build a house, make sure you put a parapet there for your roof so that nobody falls. Easy to understand. Home construction at this time included a very functional roof. People would hang out on the roof. People would store things on the roof. Um, people would sometimes, when it got really hot, sleep on the roof. It's very um, functional in a different way than um, maybe the way your roof functions for your house here in the U.S. Now, a parapet would be like, uh, sort of like a safety wall, so that no one fell off the roof and died. Think like railings on your deck, so that nobody, so that nobody fell off and hurt themselves, or nobody fell off and died. Railings on your deck. That's a call for this in God's word. Its purpose was the protection of human life. I mean, look at it again. Look at the last part. It says, "It says um, that you may not bring the guilt of blood. Your negligence to do this could make you guilty of bloodshed if anybody should fall from it." That's interesting. This is about protection of human life. So just as just as God commands His people. To love others by valuing their property, he also commands them to love others by valuing their life. And this even affects the construction of your house. Now, like I said, we don't use roofs uh, the same way as they did, so this is not a command to to construct our houses exactly the same way that they did. Uh, But it is a call for us to value human life deeply, like God does. I mean, it even affects the way you build your home, that, that, you, that you value human life, image bearers of God, like God does. That's, it's definitely, we definitely take away that principle here. And this is a reminder for us that valuing human life, valuing human life is not just shown in refraining from murder or maybe standing against abortion. It's, not, it's shown in those ways, but not just those ways. It can get very, very practical as we see here very practical you can break the spirit of this command by your negligence you you can drive in such a way that breaks the spirit of this command you you can be unguarded with your children in such a way that breaks the spirit of this command by devaluing human life now from what i can remember i was thinking about this i've actually had this i wonder if anybody here has ever had this verse shared with them by another christian I have twice that I can remember. The first time this was, or not maybe not the first time, but one time this was shared with me was concerning a rotten dead tree in my backyard. Um, and a brother, I believe it was Jay Grisham, I think, uh, shared this first with me. And, and in and, and the connection he's making, I want you to make the same connection, a connection about valuing, valuing human life affects even the way you deal with a dead tree in your backyard that might fall and hurt someone so I mean everybody you know how expensive that is right to get these trees taken down so I had to give thought to it okay if this thing fell would somebody get hurt <laughs> could it potentially you know well we ended up in light of this first trusting God have to get this thing cut down but this first was shared with me I think another time it was shared with me was, was I was and I believe this was Dustin um, I was rebuilding my back deck and if you don't know any, if you don't know this, Dustin has a, a big background in construction, and I don't. So this is a nice way for him to say, "Do it right." <laughs> uh, uh, the parapet, you know. The next step he took was, "I'm not going to let my kids play on it if you don't do it right." <laughs> but it makes you, but you know, I just the thing I want you to grab from this idea is how practical this love and value for human life really does get in God's word. It's not, in other words. I want us to be where, I want us to let God's Word get into literally every area of life, okay? I don't want us to be these superficial Sunday obedience type Christians that just, you know, gets religious when we get here. But no, seriously, like, God's Word gets into everything. It affects the way you, way you, the way you construct your deck. Like, it gets into everything. And we ought to be a people that sees that, and, and, and not just sees it, but... We'll come to this later, but loves it and enjoys it. Oh, God, God, give me direction. Direct. Put your finger on everything in my life. Well, God's God's Word does that here. Man, we ought to read it. We ought to read His Word and enjoy it. All right. Fifth fifth law. Verse 9 through 11. I believe this is a law about being unmixed with the world. I'll try to explain that, about being unmixed with the world. Look at verse 9 through 11. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Okay. Now that's an interesting group of commands, right? Very interesting. Now notice the pattern of unmixed, right? So, so not don't mix these two seeds together. That's the first one. Then he says, Don't mix together this um, ox and donkey to plow together. Don't do that. And then he talks about the clothing they wear, not this mixed materials in the clothing. And that's the way, in fact, that's the way it ends. In verse 11, you should not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So this is a call to several things being unmixed. Interesting command. Now, some people would think about this command as, as, just, as just merely practical. It's just very, very practical. Okay. So And here's what I mean. Practical advice like uh, you mainly could point to the ox and the donkey. What, what happens? I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I think I understand this. What happens if you try to plow with an ox and donkey together? That ain't going to go well. That's just practical, right? Don't do that. That's not going to, you know, one's stronger than the other, one's bigger than the other. It's not, not going to go well. Um, so some people think of it very practical, okay? And again, maybe Israel need that. They just, they've been wandering through the wilderness, take, just grabbing manna for 40 years. Maybe they needed some really, really practical advice. But the problem is, is it's really hard to square it only being practical. It's hard to square that with the other two, um, the other two commands, why not mix the seed? Why, why not mix the materials for your clothing? So it's hard to square it as just being merely practical. Others believe, and I think this is right, I believe this is right, other, others believe that this law about not mixing seed, not mixing ox and donkey, uh, and, and, and not um, uh, mixing the, the materials for the clothing Others believe that this is about keeping Israel apart or separate from the nations. Like ceremonial law, like dietary laws. Remember that we talked about that. What were the purpose of these laws? To keep Israel separate from the nations in a very real and even physical way. These practices were to keep Israel separate from the world. Now, there's, some, there's actually some research you can look at that says that this mixing of seeds could be traced back to an Egyptian Pagan way of doing things that was connected to worship to their god. So stay away from that. There's a possibility saying stay away from that. Don't be like the Egyptians. I believe it's really obvious with the clothing that you wear. Verse 11 says not these mixed materials in the clothing. Verse 12 we'll get there, but it's going to go on to say put the tassels. In fact, you should wear the garment and put the tassels there on on the garment. So so I really understand. I see why that command could play a role like dietary laws and other things to keep Israel separate from the nations. I mean, where, where do you go shop for your clothes, you know? You can't go to the pagan stores, you know? You see somebody come and you look at what they wear, yeah, yep, that's a, Jew, that's a Jewish man right there, look at his clothing. Like it would, it would have this role of keeping Israel separate from the nations as they obeyed these things. And I believe that's right, that that's the purpose of this command. So it, it makes you ask the question, so then, why would God want to keep Israel separate from the nations? And man, we could just sit there all day, couldn't we? Because the Messiah was promised to come through this nation. A promise to Abraham and his seed, a promise to Abraham and his family who became the nation of Israel that through this nation is going to come one who's a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior to save people for their sins, to be wounded for their transgressions, to reign as king forever as he's resurrected and ascended, that promised one was to come through the people of Israel. So God was interested in keeping those people separate from the nations. And it makes sense that when Christ comes, those those ceremonies or those dietary laws or the clothing you wear dissolves with the coming of Christ. God's no longer interested in keeping Israel separate from the nations. In the sense of this Messiah coming. Now I think an application here. I want to make an application with this. God, like I said, is not. God is not keeping his people separate from the world. In the same way he was Israel. It's not with clothing. It's not with farming practices or the diet that you have. It's not in those ways. But today, God's people, the church, are called to be separate from the world by holiness, by godliness, by humility and love for Christ and gospel proclamation, and on it goes, the character of these people. They're to be set apart by holiness, not the clothes they wear. Now, I think this shines a really, really interesting light. I want to read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a, probably a familiar verse with most, most of you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Listen to this command for His people. How will His people be set apart today? Verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked. Isn't that interesting? You know, like the ox and the donkey. You know, don't, be, don't mix the ox. You remember that? And right here, Paul grabs that same idea and he says, do, do not be unequally yoked. What's he calling the people of God to? Listen, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Be holy. What fellowship has light with darkness? Brothers and sisters, be holy. What accord has Christ with Belial, and what portion has a believer? does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, listen to this, I will make my dwelling among them, and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, hear the command, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Notice the call here to be separate from the world. Not unequally yoked. Pointing back to something like that in Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. Don't, don't be unequally yoked. Grace Community Church, I believe we need to feel a warning here About worldliness. About worldliness. Worldliness is subtle. It's more subtle than just blatant immorality. It creeps up on you. Worldliness is deceptive. It's just little by little, little. Here's the compromise. Here's another compromise. I enjoy that in the world. My affections for Christ are low. My affections for His Word are low. But I, my affections for the things of this world are high. It's deceptive and it's so dangerous. James 4.4 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. So, Grace Community Church, be holy. Be separate from the world, not by farming practices, not by tassels on your garments, but by holiness. James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God is what? And one of the things it says is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Examine your hearts in this, please. Is worldliness getting a grip on you and your family? Are you walking in holiness as Christ at the forefront of your mind and your thoughts and your affections? Or does the world have it? So a warning here to remain unmixed from the world. Six, last law. And I believe it's a law about remembering God's commandments. Look at verse 12. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. Tassels on the four corners of the garments with which you cover yourself. Now, besides keeping the people of Israel separate from the the nations, what reason is given for these tassels? Okay, we're given more information. If you'll turn with me to Numbers 15. We're given more information about this in Numbers 15. And if you're writing it down, it's verses 37 through 41. Numbers 15, verse 37 through 41. Let's read it. The reason for these tassels. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel. Here it is. What's the reason for these things? It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Look at it and remember the commandments of the Lord. Keep going. To do them, not to follow after your own heart in your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So why the tassels? He said, so you'll look at, them, oh man, you'll remember the commandments, he says, number one, that you'll obey the commandments. It says here, do them. Number two, And number three, that you will not follow your own heart. Did y'all see that there? Remember the commandments, obey them, and not follow your own heart. Isn't that so interesting? Put these tassels on your garments for this purpose. It's interesting. Our culture bombards us and our children constantly with the follow your heart message. And here God tells Israel, I want you to wear something that will constantly remind you, don't do that. It's in the past not, that you would not follow your heart. The culture says, follow your heart constantly. It's everywhere. And, and here, here, wear something that will constantly remind you, don't do that. Don't follow your heart. We ought to put such a low value on the thoughts of your heart or following your heart. There's literally a proverb that says he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. It's in the book of Proverbs. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. And yet we have a tendency to go this way, don't we? What we just read, Numbers 15, verse 39 says, which you are inclined to whore after. The thoughts of your own heart. You're inclined to this. You're prone to this. You're prone to wonder in this way. And here's a constant reminder. Don't do that. Our culture bombards us and our children with the idea that laws and commandments are burdensome. Oh, they're burdensome. They're even oppressive. These commandments, these laws of me, they're heavy. They're oppressive. And yet God tells Israel, I want you to wear something that constantly reminds you of my commandments. Wow, that's different. Wear something that constantly reminds you of my commandments. Now, this should affect the way we think as the people of God about the commandments of God It should affect the way you think about it. Don't let the world influence the way you think about His commands. What does God's Word show us? Listen, one of the most beautiful places to go to see this is Psalm 119. Listen to the way this psalmist thinks about the commandments. Listen, just listen. Hide not your commandments from me. That's a sweet prayer. Lead me in the path of your commandments, O God, which I love. I find my delight in Your commandments, which I love. I love Your commandments above gold, above fine gold. I long for Your commandments. You see, the commandments of God are good. Don't buy what the world's selling you. The commandments of God, the law of the Lord, is good. It's precious. It's glorious. 1 John 5.3 says, This is the love of God. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God. We keep His commandments. And His commandments, it says here, are not burdensome. Now let me see if I can try to clear something up on this topic. Of God's commandments being burdensome. Try to clear something up here. When are the commandments burdensome or heavy to somebody when are the command when do the commandments just feel so heavy burdensome in a negative way to somebody and I believe the answer to that is that the commandments are an unbearable weight to the Christless and loveless soul I mean the soul that doesn't have Christ I mean the soul that doesn't love Christ the Christless and loveless soul, oh, His commandments are so burdensome. Burdensome to them. They're not, but they are to them. And to explain that to the Christless person, to, to the person who does not have Jesus as their Savior, okay, to the person that doesn't have Christ, it's just, it's just you and God. It's just you and Before God and His righteous, holy standard. That's all that it is. There's no mediator. There's no go-between. There's no intercessor between you and God. It's just you and God. It's you before God's commands. You've fallen short. you failed to obey His commands. And all the commandments do is just sit on you like this heavy burden, this heavy reminder that you failed. You've fallen short. And this is why you feel so burdensome. So burdened burdened by that that you either wilt away in despair or you try to ignore this stuff. Cover it up and find joy somewhere else. Listen to me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus perfectly obeyed this law and then He was condemned under the penalty of your disobedience. When you come to Christ, you have Jesus as your mediator. It's not just you before God's standard, God's law. It's you before God and you have a mediator who is Christ Jesus, the Savior, and He sets you free from the punishment of sin and then He empowers you to hate sin and to walk according to His Word. And connected to this, to the loveless person, the one that has no love for God, I mean. To the one who has no love for God. Trying to keep the commandments just cuz you have to. I just have to. I got to obey, his, you know. I got to obey his word. What a burden. Feels like this. I I really I really just want to do what I want to do. I love myself. I love my ways. I don't don't love God. His commands just feel like heavy restrictions on me. I feel like Psalm 2-3. Get His cords off of me. Listen to me. When you come to Christ, God does something absolutely glorious. It's glorious. He removes that stony, hard heart and He replaces it with a new heart. That's Ezekiel 36. A heart that loves God. And when you love God, you love His commandments. You no longer keep His commandments and, and, and try to be saved, but you want to keep His commandments because you love the One who's already saved you. That's different. Not keep His commandments in order to save myself. No, no. You, I, want to, I want to obey you, Lord Jesus. I want to obey the One. I want to keep the commandments of the One who's already saved me because I love him. He's given me a heart that loves him. So, Grace Community Church, you do not have to wear four tassels on uh, the four corners of your garment. You don't have to do that. But you do have to remember his commandments. And because of Jesus, 1 John 5, 3 says, his commandments are not burdensome. And so I'll leave you with that. Love his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these laws. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts all the things we see about your character here, Lord, the the value of human life. God, work that in us like you. Make us like you the love for others and caring for their property and entering into their problems. God, like you, God, make us like you in that, please. God, help us to stand firm and strong in a culture that's just rebelling against you, Lord. And I pray, God, you would constantly grow us in this love for your commandments. Thank you for hearing us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.